Welcome to the Extras Podcast, where we respond to the questions you sent in during the Sunday Sermon. Hi, my name is Sophie and I will be the new host for the Extras Podcast. I think this is a great place to help us think deeper about what we hear on Sunday, to ask questions, to be intellectually curious, uh, and to stretch ourselves and keep coming back to the Bible to check that what we're hearing is true. And this week, Peter and I sit down again together to discuss the next request in the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Let's jump in. Well, welcome back, Peter, to another episode of the Extras podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. We got lots of questions in on Sunday, which I have to say makes me very excited because I feel like people are really wrestling with what they're hearing and trying to think about how to apply it and uh, go back to the Bible and check um, and weigh your words carefully. So I'm really excited, but we do have our work cut out for us today. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, We got a lot of questions about asceticism and fasting. So I thought it'd be helpful just to dig into what is asceticism and just to kind of unpack that a bit. Where did it come from? What is it? Yeah, help us through that. Sure, sure. So um, asceticism, uh, it, it comes from uh, this word, you know, ascesis, which is kind of like strict self-discipline, something like that. And, um, you know, I suppose in some sense we all need to exercise an amount of self-discipline, don't we? You know, mm. kind of try to eat one Tim Tam instead of a packet at a time or, or whatever. <laughs> and we're all try to have self-discipline in our lives that's a good thing Mm. and really what we were talking about on Sunday um, in in a sort of a negative way that some people are are kind of questioning I think is the idea of asceticism religiously motivated asceticism and Mm. in in particular the idea of an asceticism uh, springing from an assumption that the, uh, the the physical dimension of our existence eating, drinking, sleeping, having sex, these kinds of things, mm. and the sort of Godward aspect of our, our existence, particularly prayer, that these things are kind of incompatible. And if you want more God stuff, you need to have less body stuff. Mm. Um, so that assumption that those two things are in tension with each other leads the religiously serious person to try to exercise extreme self-restraint, self-discipline, mm. uh, asceticism, live a very... Uh, minimal kind of uh, a lifestyle that makes minimal provision for bodily needs in order to have maximal um, space, effort, energy, freedom for religious things. And that's the kind of asceticism we've had in mind uh, in the last week. Mm, Yeah, I was uh, looking back through some of my old college notes on asceticism. And um, yeah, so I mean, there are a couple verses in the Bible where we can see where people are getting this idea, for example, um, in 1 Timothy, it talks about training in godliness, or in um, 1 Corinthians 9, um, Paul talks about disciplining his body. Mm. Um, and so we can kind of see where it comes from. Um, but yeah, people uh, throughout history have tried to, as you've mentioned, sort of devalue the physical world and transcend the body um, and to sort of be more spiritual. Um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting to see how that could have also played into the belief for some people that Jesus couldn't have been fully human because how could God be intermingled with the sinful flesh? Isn't that a horrible thing? Which is a heresy. And so you can see people take, um, yeah, take this value of the spiritual and devaluing of the physical 
way too far and it's kind of led them to the wrong place. So yeah, it was a helpful correction to kind of think about do I, how do I think about the physical as well as the spiritual um, in the world that God has created? And I think that's exactly right, the world that God has created. So the answer to these kind of issues that we run into is a robust doctrine of creation. We understand the Bible's picture of God as creator. Uh, God doesn't kind of have to fight it out with some other God. God doesn't have to enter into a struggle with, uh, with materiality, with this kind of uh, strange primordial mm. goop that kind of resists him and he's able to input, impart his will on it kind of but it's always threatening to break loose yeah. um, this is the picture uh, of some accounts of creation but not the Bible's account the Bible says that God creates uh, out of nothing so he creates in perfect sovereignty the world doesn't have to exist but it does because of his uh, grace in fact mm. the overflowing of his love and uh, it exists in such a way he needs nothing from it because he was just fine without it mm. and so he's not dependent on it in any way it's utterly dependent on him but not in such a way that it takes anything away from him or adds anything to him which means that creation can be what it is good and God can be what God is God uh, and really this biblical doctrine of creation is so helpful for us when it comes to living in the created world and uh, resisting the effort to make creation into God uh, or to devalue creation and say, oh, well, creation is, is wicked and opposed to God. No, the biblical doctrine says uh, God is God and creation is good. Mm, yeah, I, I think that's right. God created the world to be good. He created trees that are pleasing to look at. Um, he values the creative arts and the construction of the tabernacle and the temple. Um, he creates weather for different seasons for harvest and um, yeah, he has created us to be creatures bound by time um, and there's a goodness to all of those things and a rightness to all of those things um, and we need to think carefully as Christians about how do we live in those spaces and value those things too um, and honour God in the physical uh, present time. Mm. Um, but. Perhaps going back to that spiritual discipline point that we started with, um, there's clearly some value in it in terms of the Bible talking about training in godliness um, or disciplining ourselves or having good discipline. Um, John the Baptist, likewise, he lived um, eating honey and locusts and lived in the desert. That seems like a very minimal lifestyle. Um, should we say that John the Baptist was an ascetic? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so he's obviously someone who uh, lives a certain kind of strange sort of lifestyle. Um, is this because of uh, a commitment to the, the kind of wickedness of materiality uh, or you know, a sense that so, uh, something about eating or living in a house is uh, wicked or like inherently corrupting? It seems not. It's sort of a callback to... Um, the prophet Elijah and and in Elijah's case uh, my hunch is that um, this has to do with his uh, he's not influenced by what's going on in the cities he lives mm. away from the city where you know, Ahab is kind of doing his thing and he's able to speak with a different perspective it helps to communicate that I think uh, however um, there's a there's a this kind of pattern assumption of fasting in the Bible. You know, lots of people seem to be fasting all the time. Now, 
as far as I can see, uh, fasting is never quite commanded anywhere in the Bible. Um, let us know if, if it is, and I've missed it. Um, but uh, it seems to be assuming that it will be happening a lot. Mm. Um, now, so there, there is uh, an appropriateness to going without food. Um, there's a, you know, a suggestion in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 that it might be appropriate to go without sex for a time for the sake of praying. So again, this is uh, an image of putting a temporary pause on some of the realities of created life mm. for the sake of kind of uh, embracing uh, fully and attending uh, exclusively to relationship with God or the concerns of a relationship with God for a time. I think what this is telling us really is that uh, there is a there's a first and a second. God is first mm. uh, and creation is second and so it's appropriate uh, for a time to say well you, the, what is creaturely exists for the sake of God. God doesn't exist for the sake of the creaturely mm. uh, and to reflect that I'm going to uh, put a pause on some aspects of my creaturely existence. I'm not going to sleep for some amount of time so I can pray. I'm not going to eat for some amount of time so I can pray um, because as a creaturely human being, as a, as a creature, as a human being, I'm created for God and so it's appropriate uh, for me to show that kind of primacy that he's in first place um, by making very clear what's first and what's second, mm. uh, stopping what comes second for a time. Now, obviously that can only happen for a time. Like, yeah. I can't go on praising God uh, for very long if I don't eat. I don't yes, sleep, like yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll die. Mm. Um, so my creaturely praise to God can only arise if I do eat and sleep. Um, and But it might be appropriate to put a temporary pause on those things to say, you know, the creaturely exists for the sake of the, of, uh, the Godward relationship and not the other way around. Mm, yeah, I think it's, it's helpful to remember also what, I mean, as you said, there aren't um, necessarily explicit commands too fast um, that we get. Um, but, yeah, we know that um, certain... Uh, festivals that the Jews celebrated were often um, done in tandem with some sort of physical action to represent um, what they were reflecting on. Um, for example, I think of you know jars of water and God's provision of, of water. Um, but I think the the fasting, the point of it is to actually draw you closer to God and um, a reminder that He is the one who provides for our needs. And so, if anything, the fasting is. Um, not a rejection of the physical, but a reminder of how much we actually need that provision from God physically as well as spiritually. Um, help us, yeah, to focus on God as well. Because, um, yeah, as you said, there's a first and there's a second, um, and God uh, God and his kingdom is a first, um, which maybe actually runs nicely into our next question, uh, which is, about back at uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well um, yeah just maybe unpack that a little bit uh, we had a question that says it sounds like this verse is promoting asceticism um, seeking God and not worrying about our physical needs Can you just help us just to nuance that a bit you've already touched on it already yeah well I think this I think this verse has a first and a second so in the context uh, you know, you've uh, don't worry saying what shall we eat what shall we drink what shall we wear the pagans run after these things your heavenly father knows that you need them so your heavenly father doesn't say no no that's pagan stuff mm. you shouldn't have anything to do with that no your father he's your creator he knows you need to wear clothes and eat and drink uh, 
but there's a first and a second. You know, that stuff doesn't exist uh, for this. You know, you don't eat and drink for the sake of eating and drinking and wearing. Mm. Uh, created life exists for God the Creator. And so uh, it, uh, the, the verse, seek first the kingdom, uh, reflects that ordering. So yeah. put a priority on God and the things of God and, and living well in relation to God and the stuff just to do with living in the body, that will get taken care of. It matters in second place. Yeah. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, and as we continue to think about this tension between the, sp- the spiritual and the physical, um, or I should say lack of tension that there should be because they're both important, um, there's a couple of questions that came in about whether the bread that we're pay- praying for um, is a sort of spiritual daily bread, a, a need a spiritual need that is provided for us daily that we're asking. Is Jesus the bread here um, that we're asking for? Yeah, is it it purely physical or should we read some sort of spiritual nuance to it? Well, I guess I think I want to stress that um, the physical is the spiritual in the sense that when I'm asking God for my daily bread, that is a spiritual thing that I'm doing. So I've I've brought the kind of... uh, sheer physical survival aspect of my life in the body I brought that within the sphere of my relationship with God and I'm saying God I need this because you made me to need it and please provide it for me Mm. Uh, and I look to you uh, and not only to myself uh, to continue my life in the body now that's a spiritual thing to do right that's um, Mm. that's making uh, the physical acknowledging that the physical exists for the sake of the spiritual you know I eat and drink for the sake of existing in a relationship with God so uh, I don't think we need to feel anxiety about oh this seems not very spiritual Mm. just asking for bread no that is a spiritual thing to do Um, all that said uh, bread is a metaphor you know often in the Gospels and and Jesus can say I'm the bread of life Uh, and when Jesus you know at his death starts talking about uh, take and eat this bread he's talking about his body he's talking about his sacrificial death and so uh, bread can mean much more than that bread means who Jesus is for us mm. um, I want to say I'm not convinced that it means that in the Lord's Prayer uh, how do you find these things out usually by context mm. and as I just scout around in the context it seems to be talking a fair bit about just literal physical stuff and doesn't really seem to be making this metaphorical move uh, to say well, our bread is kind of a metaphor for um, spiritual sustenance. Uh, you know, Jesus has quoted uh, back in um, uh, back in Matthew chapter four uh, that uh, man doesn't live by bread alone, uh, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, you know, that could be uh, a sense that uh, perhaps. That's something we might build on if we want to kind of build out into this metaphorical sense of bread. Uh, but I think for me, I, there's something so valuable and important in being able to relate just the, the really concrete, um, everyday, physical aspects of my existence to God in the way that I think the Lord's Prayer does. I think that's so valuable. Mm. And, um, you know, when you're reading John, delight in the fact that Jesus is the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven. That's fantastic. And when you're reading and praying the Lord's Prayer, delight in the fact that God 
uh, cares that you are a creature and knows your creaturely needs and asks you to ask him Mm. to provide for them. Yeah, I think, I wonder if maybe we struggle to pray for those physical daily things um, because I wonder if that's where we naturally start when we pray, maybe as a little kid or as a new Christian. um, We naturally pray for those um, physical things first. And as our theology of prayer develops, we realize that we should be praying for other things like, um, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done, um, where we can bring adoration to God, where we can confess to God. Um, And so I think perhaps as our theology of prayer uh, deepens um, as we grow as a Christian, we perhaps then feel like we're supposed to leave those sort of requests for physical things behind. Um, But yeah, I found it a helpful reminder, uh, your sermon and talking with you today, that it is still important to be praying for our physical needs. Um, Yes, it goes on in in Matthew 6, um, mentions very specific physical needs like uh, clothing and food. What should we wear? What should we eat? Um, God, as you said, knows that we need those things. And so it is a good thing to pray for those physical needs. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, insightful comment you made about learning to grow in prayer. And I guess I would say um, perhaps a way we can continue to grow is thinking not in terms of either or, but integrating these things. Mm. Yeah, I think that is helpful um, to... I, this prayer that the that Jesus has given us, the Lord's Prayer, does integrate both, doesn't it? It has both those, um, yeah, spiritual things, those eternal that eternal perspective, um, God's rule on earth, but it also considers our needs, both physical and spiritual, too. Um, so it's yeah, another reason why the Lord's Prayer is a helpful model mm. for us. Um, as we continue to wrestle and think through spiritual and physical, um, how can we articulate um, the the value of um, our relationship with God um, in our lives to the everyday secular Sydney resident in a way that gets them craving for something more than just the, what the physical world can provide? Um, can I say, so if I love this question. I thought this was such a... Uh... Uh, a helpful and interesting and insightful kind of a question. Um, yeah, how can I talk about what uh, it is that I have from God in such a way that it makes other people perhaps want to have mm. that as well? Um, as I reflected on it, I started to think about um, you know it talked about the spiritual you know the spiritual kind of component of life, and it made me think. I suppose what's so valuable about knowing God is that um, that's not a component of my life. That's um, what metaphor would you use? It's 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 the flavor of the whole thing, or mm. that's the kind of that's the soil that my life grows up out of. Um, so one of the things that's so uh, wonderful about coming to know Jesus is that He doesn't kind of just like slot into the little gap in your life and kind of plug a hole that you know that's there. Yeah. But actually reorients, rewires, you know, takes over and reconfigures your entire life, and so. Um, you know my uh, wh- wh- whatever I'm whatever I'm involved in, I'm thinking about you know, my, my my work or thinking about my kids' achievement in their life or mm. or, or whatever it is. Uh, all of these things are impacted um, always positively uh, for the best in a way that leads to um, well, I, you know, I would say like more thankfulness and less anxiety, uh, knowing that uh, God loves me, uh, is in charge, has 
dealt with sin and provided for the future and his spirits at work within me. Mm. Um, and so I, I have all the same problems and worries and concerns and needs as anybody else in my life, but I do them, you know, the, the, the Lord holds my hand and leads me through them. Mm, mm. I wonder if it's also helpful to think about where, um, where I guess it's perhaps more visible to the outsider, where our relationship with God actually impacts the way we think about the physical. If those around us um, in secular Sydney are very concerned with the physical, then perhaps the way that we display our trust in God for those physical needs can be a good way to start to have conversations with people and um, discuss what what is beyond the physical um, in a sense of, yeah, not beyond is in better, well, better, yes, but um, in terms of some, it's not just the physical but the spiritual as well. Um, perhaps that can be a helpful place to start, uh, whether that be the way that you approach work or the hours um, that you work. Somebody who's very anxious for money or security um, or those physical needs would prioritize work or work hours over things like church or spending time with other Christians or perhaps even family and friends. I think communicating the value that you have in those things ends up speaking volumes to those around us about the trust that we have in God for the physical. Mm. I mean, perhaps a good practical thing here, great evangelistic question uh, can be can I pray for you if somebody expresses mm. you know some kind of um, anxiety or concern or need um, and say yeah can I can I pray about that and that demonstrates how you think about these things that they're not to be solved by kind of worrying and striving um, maybe a bit of work and planning needs to go into it but you're going to pray about it and you're happy to pray for them uh, that points out to them that something about the way that you attack this kind of stuff that's different to the way that they do Mm. and um, maybe it opens up a conversation yeah yeah I think very helpful and naturally that leads us into our next lot of questions Um, there are a lot of questions about worrying for the future or planning for the future particularly in terms of finances and insurance I think because those are the things that we tangibly plan for um, Mm. that we're measuring that we're watching um, and potentially what we're most anxious about Um, but perhaps to help us um, could you distinguish for us between planning and wanting to guarantee and how worry fits in with that yeah so we did speak about this a little bit on Sunday didn't we Mm. Uh, when we were talking about some of um, the actions that we take with respect to the future and um, I would want to say uh, it's responsible to take actions with respect to the future. So, uh, I mean, that seems to me to be a statement that needs not very much backing up. But, uh, you know, Paul is saying, mm, bring me my coat. So, you know, like it will be cold in the future. Or bring me, mm. bring me um, some parchment or like I'm planning to come and see you. So could you make a bed up for me? You know, <laughs> yeah, that's extremely like the, the very practical Verses at the end of Paul's letters that we don't know really yeah. what to do with. Um, they're about physical planning and stuff. So you know, it's, if it's if it's, it's fine for the apostle, it seems fine for me. Uh, so uh, you know, we wouldn't want to come down on planning, taking action with respect to the future. Um, it seems to me that things like uh, like financial planning, like getting and acting on 
financial advice, um, superannuation, you know, the kind of mm. boring, nitty-gritty stuff. This is prudent planning for the future. And I think I would put insurance in that basket as well as a way of kind of prudentially planning. So I, you know, I, um, I have life insurance um, and uh, that I think is a, is, is a wise thing to do. That's a, a wise step that I can take today uh, to um, exercise love for those whom God has put in my care uh, mm. for the future. Um, now, the temptation for me with life insurance is to think, oh, my family will be okay mm. because I have life insurance. And that is what insurance is sold to you as, you know, it's peace of mind. Um, everything's going to be fine if you buy this. Uh, and you know, as we touched on on Sunday, the truth is that no financial product can deliver you peace of mind mm. and no financial product can give you a guarantee for the future. Um, short, like the economic history of the last two decades, if it's taught us anything, has taught us that. You know, we can't, you can't buy tomorrow. Um, mm. Something, you know, is going to happen that makes it fall apart. And so, uh, as a Christian, you know, I, I want plan prudentially for the future, but I, I know that I can't guarantee the future because the future belongs to God. I'm a creature. I live in time. I don't have any access to tomorrow. Mm. All time is one to God and he owns tomorrow he, that's why Jesus says let tomorrow worry about itself mm. he's saying let God worry about tomorrow yeah um, so it, it, to me those things are right next door to each other planning um, and the kind of uh, either the anxiety that you've not planned well enough or the kind of overconfidence uh, yes I've guaranteed tomorrow uh, and I'll say to my soul soul you've got plenty for many years sit and take it easy tomorrow mm. is sorted um, but as a Christian, it's really important that we distinguish between those. We prudentially plan, but we mustn't fall into anxiety over the future as if we control the future and haven't quite done a good enough job, or complacency over the future mm. as if we control the future and think we've done a very good job. Yes, yeah, very helpful. I think, um, yeah, touching on some points there that you made about planning, thinking about the a couple passages where it talks about um, providing for widows, but also that the believer should provide their own family or their own widow first and then the widows that um, don't have that option available can go to the church and yeah you can see that there's some very careful thinking about how to use our money to care for others or support others and um, financial planning and provision um, and then that's a good a good thing um, to it's good to plan but to maybe hold those plans loosely knowing that they can change at any time and that God can have other plans that um, perhaps we don't know or haven't thought about or considered um, and to be prepared in those moments and I mean in all moments really to trust in God above your plans um, as you as you were helpfully saying. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe to, to help us finish today um, just another question that came in as we look out at the world there are lots of places where daily food and provisions seem to be quite sparse Um, perhaps some of us think to the war-torn countries or um, third world countries um, that seem to be in famine is what is God saying something in particular there is it some sort of punishment Um, yeah how should we think about famine and sharing our bread Mm -hmm. 
I think it's uh, helpful as, as a general rule, um, you know, to ask what's sometimes we think, well, this has happened, what's God saying? Um, it's helpful to think, okay, well, where am I going to hear God speak? In God's Word. And uh, you can't you can't simply read off circumstances to um, understand you know, that God is pleased or God is angry. Um, you know, if, if the, those 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 people um, that the the tower fell on were they were they bigger mm. sinners yeah. than all the rest? And Jesus says, no, no, it's not like it's not like that. Mm. Um, so we can't just be reading off. Okay. This nation has a famine, so God is angry with that nation. Um, and the Bible tells us the wrath of God is revealed actually against all people because of uh, wickedness, and uh, that Jesus died for all people. Uh, so we want to be careful about that. Uh, should we find ourselves in famine? The, the message to take from that is not that we ought to have been more thankful and God is punishing us or something like that. Um, but I think I do want to also say, um, kind of beyond that, uh, we're not in the situation where we are experiencing famine. Like the, the that's a, a hypothetical. What if there were a famine? But that's not our, our reality. Our reality mm. is that we live uh, with plenty. Yes. Uh, in a world in which uh, that's not true of everybody, mm. and so the actual situation we find ourselves in is not what if we don't have enough the situation we find ourselves in is what if some don't have enough and we have more than enough mm. that's actually the question that circumstance poses to me yes yeah uh, and uh, this is something we, we, we spoke about on sunday it's um there's, there's encouragement i think um from scripture and from church history to, to to think well if god's provided for me and provided in abundance it's so that i can exercise generosity and provide for the one who doesn't have enough mm. yeah there's opportunity there um to yeah demonstrate that love for other people and share the wealth that we have with them um yeah to take take the most of those opportunities when others do come to you for help um or in need um to share share our wealth and share our bread together to look out for one another's physical needs um yeah i mean perhaps famine as you said that's one that we're not experiencing at the moment but um there are other people with real physical um needs whether that be illness um or just struggling to make it through the day loads of laundry that need to get done with little newborns or um poor physical health um to think about how we can share physical resources with one another um to help sustain people um because god has given us plenty in order that we can share and be generous. His generosity overflows to us and that generosity should overflow to others. Mm. Well, thank you, Peter, so much for helping us think through um, those questions. There are a lot that came in. Um, Yeah, we hope that all of your questions got answered. Apologies if yours wasn't brought up specifically. Um, Feel free to uh, email me, sophiew at stpaulsanglican.org.au if you have any follow-up questions. Thanks so much, Peter, for joining us again on The Extras. Thanks, Soph. Thanks, everyone. Bye. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of The Extras podcast. 
I want to encourage you that if you're not somebody who normally asks questions, to have a go this week. Asking questions can be a great way to dig deeper into God's word, to be curious and to make sure that we keep coming back to the Bible to check what's true. I hope that this podcast can be a useful tool for you to build good patterns and to keep thinking more about God's word. I hope you tune in next week for another episode of The Extras.